wanted to um, tell the story then of how Faith and I, coming uh, back to the United States, um, had developed an understanding that gave us an insight that has developed then into my own theological understanding. Uh, that it perhaps took me a period of 20 years in Japan and the peculiar experiences we had. It's not just a matter that, oh, you go overseas and discover yourself. But it was through a prolonged uh, attempt to understand where Japaneseness or the idea of being Japanese came from. And running that down, that I began to reflect back on and recognize the degree that, as human beings, the degree that we're all steeped and shaped by particular ideologies. The ideologies that you encounter in Japan, you know, once you get at their genealogy or where they've come from, it's not as they will describe it that we Japanese are unique, you know, the most unique people in the world, and that they've, this understanding has originated with them. But what I came to recognize was that the very ideas through which they were proclaiming their uniqueness were rooted in Western claims of superiority and uniqueness, uh, many of which then developed in England or in a, a kind of colonialism that Edward Said, you know, in his book on Orientalism is going to describe. And, of course, that's the framework of this understanding of the Orient over and against the Occident, the East over and against the West. Perhaps that's the all-embracing dialectic that we all apprehend, you know, ourselves through the other. And I didn't grasp that or understand that or apply it theologically until I had the peculiar experiences I did in Japan. When Paul talks in Galatians about male, female, slave, free, you know, this kind of dialectical understanding that in someone like Hegel, who it really is the foundation of Hegelian philosophy, and, and, and of course I think the legitimacy of Hegel is not to say, as he does, that this is the necessary understanding to arrive at human insight or human knowledge. My point with this is the Pauline point, a key theological point, that once you run these ideas down and you encounter them in their bare essence, you come to recognize the emptiness of the categories. And of course, it's easier for us to do this in uh, the case of the one that we might presume to be other. And so as I tell this story, uh, I don't mean 
for this to simply be an experience of the exotic or the foreign or the oriental. But the whole point of relating the story of our journey to the East is really a story about the discovery that I came to in the development of what I call in my book uh, psychotheology. Um, that there is a construct to human personality, to human ideology, whether you want to take it at a psychological level, a philosophical level, sociological level, that you can get at the heart of this construct and deconstruct it. And of course here is the legitimate understanding that you have in postmodernism. It's just simply that I wouldn't end there or say that this is the resolution. We had, when we went to Japan, we were working with a school that employed uh, people from the West to enable children who had lived overseas to adjust back to Japanese culture. And they called these children, they had a special word, Kikoku Shijo, or Kaigaisei, children that had been overseas. As far as I know, I, I, I don't know of any other culture, maybe in North Korea, they would have such a category. But it gets at the idea of uniqueness that Japanese had and that if you're out of the culture, you're out of the country, that in some way you have to go through a period of readjustment to fit back in. And so it made for a good place to, you know, we the, the way that what we project upon Japan um, as this foreign exotic other in a sense is an understanding that is absorbed has been absorbed in the modern period by Japanese and reflected back so that many of the derogatory terms that we might use or you know those that comparing Japanese uh, to, to monkeys they've actually taken up a lot of these ideas and reverse them and use them as a kind of weapon. And this is no more true than in the case of the language. And I, again, in telling the story of the key role of language in Japan, I think we've hit upon a nugget of truth that will be universally the case. That is, I think that every culture uh, is attached and identifies itself uh, through the language that it uses. You know, if you'd take this back to the biblical story of Babel, what we've come to discover in modern genetics is the thing that divides us uh, is ultimately not at the level of the DNA. In fact, it turns out that our DNA uh, is mixed and that even racial distinctions at some level begin to break down. But what divides us 
uh, is ultimately uh, the language that we use. That we use, and this this is no more true than in a, than in a place, or most obviously true in a place like Japan. So, in the case of the school where we were teaching, uh, the children were thought to be deficient, and the use of the written language, maybe the, the spoken language. But this deficiency was not simply at the level of language, but because they had been denied full exposure to the development in the culture, it was presumed that they were in some way deficient in character. Now, I will later show that even this discussion itself may be a kind of uh, a, a false understanding even I mean it's obviously false at several levels but even in Japan that, that there is a kind of project of using this sort of discussion by elites in the culture to their own advantage but because of this focus I began to uh, explore particularly two individuals um, one was a brain scientist at that time the most famous scientist in Japan he traveled all over the country speaking at national universities and um, worked at a university Ochinomizu Medical and Dental College undertaking what may have been the most bizarre set of experiments in a university setting in the 20th century. He um, developed a unique tapping method in which he would play the sounds of nature, cricket sounds or Japanese instrumental sounds, and uh, at the same time, in the other ear, play distant sounds. And the point of all of this was to show that the Japanese brain, the Japanese language, the Japanese islands, the Japanese character, ultimately, you know, what constitutes what we might call a religious sensibility, was the most unique thing in the world. Um, I wrote uh, a series of articles on him, um, one of which I entitled the Nihongo Religion. And what I'm saying here about religion, N.T. Wright has recently noticed this in his book on Paul, that the way in which, by the way, Nihongo is just the word for Japanese, language, the Japanese language. So it's the Japanese language religion. And of course the point is that the experience or understanding of the language and the experience of the religion cannot in any way uh, be separated. And this is what N.T. Wright, you know, in his uh, book, he notices this both in the case of philosophy and religion. The religion 
tends to be a kind of separate category that we imagine that we can set out and study religion as if it is an entity separate from culture. And of course, in the first century, this is not the way that people experienced their religious sensibility or their, you know, if you were Roman, uh, do you participate in the religion as some separate activity? No, it's just a part of what it means to be Roman. And that's what you're going to get in a traditional culture, maybe a non-Western culture, I think is an idea or an understanding that was a one-time a, a universal understanding. And that is that the religion of, you know, in Japan, the formal religions, Shinto and Buddhism, are in many ways inseparable from the identity that takes place as part of being Japanese. And what I would want to say in turn, then, this is an insight or a true understanding about the nature of Christianity. Um, a kind of a twofold process has taken place, that is, we've separated out religion from culture. We imagine that we can fully participate in the culture and have a religion that in no way will interfere with that. As soon as you encounter a traditional culture like Japan, what you recognize is the introduction of Christianity is completely disruptive to the ideology or the identity that is developed. That is to convert, and this should be true not for just Japanese, but it should be true for all of us, to convert and become a Christian is a conversion from one cultural, socio-cultural understanding, socio-cultural religious understanding, to another socio-cultural religious understanding. So that as we, you know, discuss the, talk about the kind of the bizarreness of the Japanese culture, um, what I hope comes back and reflects, well, actually every culture so shapes us uh, that to be, you know, to do identity in a different way will require a complete uh, re-enculturation. And that's what I think uh, takes place in the church is that we need to, you know, be re-enculturated into the body of Christ, that here we can come and look at our own culture in much the way that I'm describing Japanese culture. We can see that it's a construct. We can trace its history. We can see its inherent, you know, falseness. Um, I think this is what's uh, tragically lacking in American evangelicalism, American Catholicism, is that this incapacity to see that the nationalism, as we have it, especially here in our uh, Trump presidency, but Trump is just the end point of a development in which religion and culture uh, have been fused, or we've imagined that we can practice Christianity 
without in some way disrupting our American identity. Uh, this, the falseness of this understanding, uh, it just came home to me most clearly as I was exposed then to the, what for me was, you know, the, what I think what for most Westerners would be the, you, the strangeness of Japanese claims, you know, Tsunoda saying that Japanese brain had actually evolved differently that the Japanese sounds of the language, the vowel sounds, and uh, because they're always connected to vowel consonant sound. You know, Tsunoda tells the story uh, that when he came to the United States, um, he was at a, a dinner party, and he noticed that the crickets were interrupting his apprehension ability to comprehend the language. And actually, I, you know, his English was actually quite good in my meeting with him. I was quite surprised. And what he, he comes to conclude from this is that the sounds of nature are received in the Japanese brain through the left side of the brain, where Westerners only hear the low rattle. You know, the sounds of na na nature are like the ro low rattle, he says, of an air conditioner or some kind of machine for Westerners. Uh, for Japanese, nature speaks in a kind of comprehensible way. And so this explains that Japanese are attuned to nature uh, the the kind of racist, you know, xenophobic understanding that developed in the pre-war period uh, is still there in many ways uh, in the post-war period in modern Japan. But perhaps in uh, you know in a play in a case like Tsunoda, uh, the idea is uh, less directly tied to uh, you know the outright emperor worship or anything like that. But the focus then is just to say, well, we Japanese are, are very unique people. Uh, in some way then, of course, you have to put this in light of the situation of having uh, their identi the identity being threatened by the loss in World War II and the religion completely undone. And so what you're seeing, Japan is a kind of neat experiment, a cruel experiment, of, uh, but you can see the post-war history, the rapid development then of a new, what I would call, socio-religious understanding. It's not that the religion, uh, in some way, in a formal sense, that Shintoism and Buddhism plays a distinctive role, Buddhism and Shintoism, then, are simply part of the overall understanding that you get. And as soon as I say that, in the West, we should immediately reflect back, and isn't that precisely what happens in a culture like the United States, that the religion, the American evangelicalism, or even a Roman Catholic understanding, is co-opted in... Uh, a kind of nationalistic way so that it is not 
our identity as Christians very often that is distinct about us, but the religion then is playing a support role for a nationalistic understanding. Of course, this is an age-old problem that gets uh, taken up in a Constantinian Christianity. Uh, so that all that I'm describing, you know, with the Japanese, I hope is giving us a portrait of what needs to happen. And, and of course, my own work in focusing, focusing upon psychoanalysis, uh, I don't mean the psychoanalytic understanding to in some way be an additive or departure from New Testament Christianity. But to recognize that a complete socio-cultural religious conversion is itself a conversion of the human psyche. And so maybe it's, it's interesting to go through and discuss and think about, is there even the possibility for the evolution of an alternative brain like you have it in Japan? For an alternative psyche, as you have it in Takeo Doi, isn't the biblical claim that in some way there is a shared identity reflected in our, you know, imaging of God that we are to recover then in and through Christ? And the degree that the culture interrupts that, or the degree that the culture co-ops that, or in some way shapes that so that it just becomes one more empty ideology, we've fallen short. Um, in my conversations with Sonoda, and, and this was all a slow discovery for me, it's a, it's a discovery in which I had to go east to, to really reflect back on my understanding of Christianity. I went to Japan with the kind of typical evangelical understanding. But as I got into this, I, I realized, well, these ideas, um, what they're doing, what they did in the Meiji Restoration, was to try to duplicate the role that Christianity in England plays, you know, the Church of England and the Anglican Church with the king or the queen as the head of the church. That is the idea of restoring the emperor, putting the emperor then back in the role of the head of the religion. Uh, that not just there, but in the, the mirroring of the West in its incorporation of an ideology that would provide a full-blown identity or understanding that just as it gives a, the colonial West the power to dominate, well, in Japan, then, the, uh, this identity would be developed as a kind of counterpower to it. That the East-West, you know, dialogue, Orientalism over and against Occidentalism, um, that is uh, simply a part of the dialectic that in some way we're always a part of. And so as I develop this in uh, the next couple of talks, what I'd like to unfold, uh, not just to go east and see what strange thing that is, but to show that precisely how it is 
that in our own apprehension of ourselves, that this east-west male-female slave-free, you know, you go through Paul's three categories there. It's social, it's ethnic, it's uh, even, you know, economic, uh, slave-free. It's ultimately uh, covers the, the realms that constitute what it means to be human. And what he's saying is that in Christ, this is re reconstituted, that ethnicity, economics, sociality, uh, that all of these realms are reconstituted.